It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome back. Another episode of Here's the Catch as we move to week 18, the final one of the regular season. 49ers trying to push the winning streak to 10 games as they transition to playoff football. And obviously, it's been a somber week around the NFL with the DeMar Hamlin situation. As we record this, though, there has been some better news. Supposedly, he's awake in the hospital and and somewhat responsive, at least, uh, holding hands with, with family members. So uh, the more good news that pours in, obviously, the better. And that's something that we're going to continue to monitor at something NFL. And all teams are continuing to monitor. Matt, we were in the locker room on Wednesday for the first time since the incident. And obviously, that was front and center on everybody's mind. And we talked to several players about it. And it's, uh, you know, it's one of the tough things that is part of playing uh, such a violent sport like football. Uh, you, you know, you, you run into scary situations on the field, and this probably was the scariest that, that either you or I have seen, or even Dennis too, right, over the time that we've uh, been watching football or, in Dennis's case, playing football. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, and, and these guys have had to reconcile – uh, what they do with uh, with head trauma, which is a- absolutely serious. This was so sudden, though. It's different. I, I don't think a lot of players, certainly I didn't, uh, uh, you know, recognize this as a possible risk. This uh, looks like it's what, what they call commodio cordis, when you take a shot to your chest, and it just happens to be in that literally that split second where uh, the heartbeat is in a certain phase, and it causes the heart to stop beating. Um, and I'm going to quickly pass this to Dennis and, and and ask what your thoughts were when it was happening and and maybe your kind of experiences with, you know, playing a game and seeing a teammate or an opponent go down with what's clearly a very serious injury and, and how you you deal with that, uh, you know, during the game um, when it's that traumatic. Yeah. And, you know, I have I have never been a part of a situation like we saw on television uh, with this young man. And, you know, first looking at the play, you know, I thought maybe he, you know, he got his his bell rung. He got, you know, the wind knocked out of him. And immediately my wife, who is a San Francisco firefighter, looking at the reaction of the players around, she said, they're doing CPR. And um, I've never seen anyone um, have CPR on them. But I guess it is a pretty um, horrific scene when you see someone getting CPR. And um, you, you could see it, the emotion of the players, the, the crying, the, you know, the hands over the, on the head and, you know, folks dropping to their knees and praying because his heart stopped. Um, never been a part of that. And, you know, Erica was saying to me 
that it's something that you you just, you just don't forget when you see someone um, get in CPR. Um, I was part of a couple of football games. I saw I was I was in the pile when when By had his ankle broke or his leg broke, uh, and I was also part of a Monday night football game against the Raiders when I forget the running back's name. Uh, Ken Norton Jr. fell across his leg and he, you know, he snapped his 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 leg. We could hear the the bone break. So, but I've never been a part of anything like this, and um, it's it, it makes you kind of evaluate kind of what we're all doing, you know, as, as athletes and as we cover it. I mean, we know this is a tough sport. Uh, we know injuries are part of it, but we never think about life and death. We never think about someone's heart stopping uh, on the football field. Um, so it, it was it was it was traumatic, and it and it and it really made me kind of think, kind of reevaluate. You know, when I say things like go to battle, fighting in the trenches, going to war, things like that. Because when you're in the locker room and you're getting dressed, you never think that, you know, your heart's going to stop on a football field. I mean, you're aware of the injuries, you could get hurt, but you never think of life and death. And that's what we're facing here. And and, and the news is good um, about this young man. And um, I just hope he has a full recovery. But we, you know, we as... A community, we really have to kind of rethink kind of how we approach football. I mean, these guys are bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, um, and when they collide, things like this, things like this, I think, might happen more often because of the fact the athletes are so much bigger, so much stronger, and so much faster. But it was it was it was crazy watching it because Erica said right away, "He's getting CPR," uh, and she could tell by the just by just by the looks of these of the of the players. The looks on their face and the emotion. So, I've never been part of it, but it's really kind of made me rethink um, how I approach football, how I talk about football, um, because it's like Erica said, it's something you can't unsee. It's something that these guys are gonna have in their mind and their memory for a very long time. Which is exactly why that game had to be canceled at that point. You know, I think Kyle Yuschek said it really concisely in the locker room yesterday. He said, "Once we heard CPR." was being performed that completely changed the the rules and, and the process by which everybody was, you know, thinking about this incident. We've seen horrific stuff on the football field, obviously a lot of it with, with the head injuries. Uh, you mentioned Dennis, the, the Bryant young leg injury, which I believe was in 1998, that that was a, a gruesome one just shattered his leg. And um, I think, I think it was Ken Norton jr's helmet that, that went right into Bryant Young's leg on on that play. It was Monday Night Football, and um, I do know a lot of you, his teammates, went 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 to the hospital to see Bryant Young after. I still I still remember watching that game. It's it, you know it's kind of seared into my memory. So I mean, football's got a got a long history of this. It's a violent sport. I mean, you, you really expect nothing different because of of the nature of the sport. But uh, then th- this incident on Monday night with the the CPR being performed, the heart actually stopping that, you know, took this to a different level. And, you know, I I think that you nailed it too when you said that the, the looks on the players' faces, just the despair, the um the sadness, Josh Allen there crying. It was it was one of those situations where uh man, everybody was like, okay, that th- this just got 
this just got real at a, at a level that that we haven't really seen on in an actual football field. However, Matt, the 49ers, uh, th- there is a history of tragedy within the 49ers organization. And I believe you were covering the team, right, in the mid-2000s uh, what, when it struck the 49ers in their locker room. Yeah, um, the 2005 team, uh, which of course is famous for drafting Alex Smith out of uh, Utah uh, with the number one overall pick. They also brought in an undrafted guy, also from Utah, um, a teammate of Smith's in college. Uh, his name is Thomas Harrion. He was uh, probably not going to make the team, maybe like a, a practice squad type. But um, after a preseason game in Denver, uh, he was in the locker room, just you know, uh, changing along with everybody else, and 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 keeled over, uh, collapsed. And uh, they couldn't they couldn't revive him. And, um, you know, uh, I, I remember it very, very clearly. I mean, they were they were on top of him, um, you know, whisking him away into an ambulance performing CPR. Dr. John York, who's a, a pathologist by trade. That's why we call him doctor who's got, you know, went to medical school, has medical training. He was one of the, the people there who rushed in and, and performed CPR on Thomas Harry and cut off his uniform. It was uh, extremely uh, you know, graphic and and uh, just just horrific. Uh, and uh, it was something that you know a lot of the questions we were asking the players on Wednesday were asked for a full week that uh, that August. I mean, how do you get back on the field knowing that uh, your, your teammate died following a game? Now, I should point out that. Um, very different. Uh, it, it was determined that Thomas Harrion had a pre-existing heart condition, um, and uh, he had a heart attack, which is different than cardiac arrest. Uh, and they never got his heart uh, revived. Uh, he, he died uh, a few minutes later on the way to the hospital. This was a case where the heart beat. Uh, you know, there, there was an arrhythmia. Where this is the suspicion. Uh, of Jamar Hamlin is that this this blow that he took um, happened at just at a certain point that sort of knocked that heartbeat off rhythm, knocked it knocked it out altogether. Um, and uh, luckily they had uh, you know the the right personnel. Um, they had the paddles, the defibrillators on hand to get that heart restarted. Uh, but uh, so so it's sort of different than what happened with Thomas Harrion, but. It, it's something that kind of shows that uh, you know this this absolutely can happen. Um, and David, you and I were talking uh, at, at the stadium. This is a uh, this is something that tends to happen to younger younger men, boys, uh, you know, thirteen to fifteen years old, most of whom play baseball and get a uh, a baseball that goes right into their chest, and that knocks that heartbeat off of rhythm. It happens in lacrosse. I've heard of a, a lacrosse goalie that that happened to, and they didn't revive him. Uh, it happens in hockey, and, you, and probably football is one of the the, the less likely sports that this is going to happen because it has to be has to be that precise, a very precise hit. Obviously, during a very very minute, we're talking one one hundredth of a second time during that heartbeat. Yeah, the, the the heart is constantly shifting angles very very slightly, but it has to be at the exact right uh, or wrong position, I guess you could say, when it hits. This has happened in the NHL in 1991, uh, and and the player uh, made a full recovery afterwards. So that's that's a you know good sign, obviously here for Demar Hamlin. But 
Based, uh, I read something that said uh, on average three to four little league baseball players around the country uh, die per year because they get hit by a baseball just the wrong time in the chest. And you know the bad news, really bad news there is that you have. Uh, I mean, Little League baseball fields generally don't have defibrillators. You generally don't have uh, a ton of medical personnel or any medical personnel on site. And when something like this happens, you've got to have that CPR, have the defibrillator, have everything there within minutes, right? It needs to be there very, very quickly. And that's, you know, that's the one positive out of this uh, DeMar Hamlin situation is that it was in an NFL stadium where you had medical personnel around. You had the ambulance there. You had the doctors, and and they're able to get to work on him right away. So, I mean, we can all hope, right, right now that that quick response ends up allowing Demar Hamlin to to pull through. You know, it's not only about the quick response; it's about what happens after, and um, you know, the treatment that he's getting right now at in that Cincinnati hospital, and all of that has to go right. And you know, we have a situation right now where the reports that we're getting. On Thursday morning, so far, have been positive, and and you know I think that everybody surrounding football right now is um, you know waiting with bated breath, hoping Dennis that uh, this continues trending in the right direction. It was really good to see how both these teams, Buffalo and Cincinnati, kind of kind of approached it. I mean, the game was over after that incident, right? I mean, it, it, it was no. It was no thoughts on, on either side sideline that this game was going to continue. And just, just to see the, the coaches on the field, the players on the field, and then, and then in, in the tunnel at the locker rooms, just kind of making that decision that, that you know, we can't go on. And it, and it became bigger than the game. You know, the fans stuck around. I think the fans stuck around because, you know, they wanted some information. They wanted to know what was going on. But it was it, it, the game was over, and the you know NFL made the call. But I think these, I, I think if the NFL said that the game would have to go on, I think these coaches, the just the way they were communicating with each other, it, it looked like they were doing the right thing, and they were you know I don't think an NFL a, a NFL game has ever been canceled before uh, during the football game. But I think it was a good call, just the way it was it was handled. It was handled in a way that it was it wasn't about the football. It wasn't about big business NFL. It was about this young man and also, you know, the players on each team. Um, the thing that they had saw on the field and to see, you know, see a, a teammate, a brother on the field kind of getting CPR and not really knowing kind of what he was or or if even if he was even still alive. So I was really impressed with the way both teams kind of handled it handled it and canceled the football game and well you know moving forward into this weekend obviously uh the players are all gonna have to everybody around the league who saw this and i know that the 49ers players were a country away so you're not right there you don't see the most horrific details of of the incident but i think everybody was was shaken by this who was you know at least somewhat involved with football so it's going to be important for for players to be able to get back into the right headspace and uh, be able to play again, because uh, you know we've talked we talk about this almost every time when we see something really serious, the stretcher come out on the football field. Uh, it's really important that uh, you know you don't step back out in between the lines, going 70 percent, going out there with some reservations, because that is where you expose yourself to more potential harm. It's a really, really tough sport to play. 
uh, from a psychological perspective. Kyle Shanahan talks about it a lot. He talks about having to go into a dark place. And by that, he means, well, you have to be able to psychologically filter out all the potential negatives to actually play the sport. That's, you know, that, that that's what maybe the great challenge of playing football, at least, you know, in between the ears. So um, players around the whole league are, you know, going to have to be able to enter that that space again this weekend. And the 49ers and Cardinals are playing at 120 on or 125 on Sunday. So um, it's it's one of the battles that that NFL players have to play uh, face on a week in week out basis. Uh, you know, I guess w- one more thing that I kind of wanted to touch on, Dennis, when when you were playing, you know, how long did it take you before each game to kind of get into that mode, uh, you know, just ju- just to be ready to play football so that you wouldn't be, you know, extra vulnerable to something if you were kind of, you know, just kind of half-assing it? How, how, <laughs> how long did it really take you to get prepared? Well, you know, it's it, it's interesting because I, I go back to like high school and in college, and in high school it was still kind of fun. So it was like the day of the game, you you kind of got yourself, you know, in in that football mode. And in college, um, it, it was it was a couple days because you know you know you had your school, you had you know you had to do all your study tables, you had to get get your mind uh, right for um, for class and test and all those different things. And then you got you t- took a couple days to play a Saturday football game because of the other stuff. Now, in the NFL, I mean, you got to get your get yourself mentally ready. You got an entire week and that's that's your entire focus uh, is on that Sunday. And I and football is unique because unlike basketball and baseball and hockey, other sports where you play you know, series, you play every other night or every night. Uh, it seems like you kind of always kind of have to be in the zone. With football, you got an entire week and you kind of explode on a football field for three hours on, on Sunday. So, I mean, you got a whole week to get, get that mindset. And um, I don't know what other teams do, but the 49ers stay, you know, home games. You know, you stay at a hotel, uh, you get your mind right. You're away from your family, all the other distractions. Even away, you're with your teammates, but at night you're in your room and you're getting ready. You're looking at your playbook. You're getting ready for for a football game. So, you know, it, it, it's changed uh, over the years. Uh, but the NFL is great because you have an entire week to get your mind ready to play in a football game. Uh, but you have that night before, uh, then you have that ride over. Uh, it, here, you know, when we played home games, it was always – me, BY, uh, and Dana Stubblefield, we would always drive in together into Candlestick, and we would always, you know, coming over Oyster Point, coming down the freeway, you could see Candlestick over at Candlestick Point coming out, coming down the 101, and that was the time we turned off the radio and we just kind of focused, uh, driving into the into the stadium. So you know, it's 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 different for everybody, but. It usually took me, you know, two days to get ready for a football game. Wow. I have to ask, Dennis, um, you know, Candlestick is not there anymore. I mean, what, what are your emotions like when you pass it, when you're driving on 101 these days and you look over to Candlestick Point and it's it's just missing? It's a, it's a hole in the ground. And I, I live close to Candlestick Point. Um, and uh, it's, it, it's, it, it's different. Because, you know, with, with the food pantry, we have a lot of pantries over in Candlestick Point, Alice Griffith uh, Housing Development, which is right next door. Uh, and there's a park there, um, Gilman Park, that sits right next to the old Candlestick. So I, I see it quite a bit. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just a hole in the ground. Uh, there, there are some signs that are still up, some parking signs. 
The one sign that they kind of kept up says, Welcome to Candlestick Park, home of the world champion uh, San Francisco 49ers. And, and it still stands there. Um, so it, it's, you know, it, it gets a little emotional. And, you know, I think that I spent eight years of my life, my kids grew up in that space. Uh, and basically, it's just a hole in the ground. And during the pandemic, uh, it became a spot for a lot of RVs that were parked out there. So, you know, I, I see it quite a bit, um, but every time I go by it, I, I still reminisce about the times, you know, getting into Candlestick, uh, you know, the fans, all the housing around it, all the people parking, all the hot dogs, people selling food, you know, out the front door. Um, so there's a lot of great memories, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's basically a hole in the ground right now. And, uh, you know, it, it hurts a little bit, but, um, you know, it's still there. I, I still call it candlestick, um, but, you know, it's just minus the stadium. But it's it's there. It's just a hole in the ground. So there's a lot of memory, a lot of really good memories there. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. I'm glad that the parking sign's still there. I was there a couple years ago and drove around and and was hoping that that wasn't just like waiting to be torn down. I think they got to keep that up. I mean, even if they rebuild that area with condos or whatever the plan is, how cool would it be to live with a condo area where there's just this old rusted sign, you know, that says, (laughs) welcome to Candlestick Park. I think you got to like, I hope the city somehow protects that with landmark status i'll tell you what though i hate it the way they demolished it i wish they would have imploded it i wish it would have at least that's cool when they implode something you know and then it's it, it, it's gone in a second the way that it died a slow death was was pretty painful to me because I, I i just i love just iconic sporting venues wherever they are you know i just think there's something cool any city i go to 
I try to go to the ballpark. I hope that you know the the baseball team is is playing at home, and I, I could go see see their 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 baseball stadium. And you know, Candlestick obviously was one of the most iconic venues in American sports between the 49ers and the Giants, Willie Mays and Willie McCovey, all the way to Barry Bonds, and then um, you know you, your 49ers teams, Dennis, winning all those Super Bowls. Um, as it took like a year and a half for them to take that apart, it was like they're taking it out apart piece by piece. I had to do that drive a lot during that year and a half, and I just started taking 280. I'd go out of my way. <laughs> so I would take I would take 101 to to 380 to 280 to not see it. It was depressing because yeah, every single yeah. time you drove by, a little bit less of it would be there. I mean, it was like torture. So um, yeah, it, it, you know, good, good on you for 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 being able to to to, to look at that because I God I I just don't like when stadiums die uh, an especially slow death. But um, yeah, <laughs> it was yeah, tough. They had yeah. that. Uh, you guys remember that statue? Uh, I want to call it a statue of a. Uh, kind of Christian warrior or crusader that was, um, you know, right in front of one of the entrances. I wonder what happened to that. Uh, that, that seems like something that could be preserved, uh, from, from that stadium. And I don't know, I, I think it should be relocated to, to Levi's, but I've, I, I lost track of, uh, where that is right now. Yeah, I, I think I think it was actually donated to one of the churches in the city. I remember okay. someone telling me that, um, but you know, that, that sign is still there. And I think they are trying to preserve that sign because it's, it's been up for a long, I mean, it's made it through a pandemic. It's made it through all the young kids with the graffiti. Um, and, but it's still standing and it, and it, and it, it looks bad, but it's still, it's still there. And it's the only sign candlestick sign that's still up there. Uh, and you know, you talk about can, I mean, she was, she was, she was old and she was, you know, she was kind of beat down, but you know, it's it's so many memories and so many you know games, classic games. Giants and 49ers played there, and and I just remember the home field advantage we had was if the tide was high, you know, in between the hashes, it was always really wet and muddy, and other teams didn't you know didn't know that who came into the stadium, and they were always slipping around, and we always knew it. We always had the longer cleek on. Um, or cliques on and uh, it was always that first half watching visiting teams come in and just kind of you know slosh <laughs> around in the in the middle of the football field and then preseason playing on that hard you know Giants infield was always always a treat so you know there's so many memories with Candlestick and and you're right the way they took it apart wasn't right I, I can remember getting a phone call saying you know you, you can come and grab some seats or you can grab you know, some turf and they, they just kind of, you know, they just took her apart real slow. And then they, I understand kind of what they were doing, given the community um, pieces of it, because it was such a, you know, such an icon or a, such a iconic thing in the Bayview neighborhood. But it just, it just looked bad when people were just kind of, you know, grabbing pieces of her, taking, you know, concrete, taking chairs, taking, you know, dugout stuff. So it was, it was it was kind of rough watching her fall apart, um, but um, like I said, so many great memories, and not only you know for me, football players and fans, but the community around uh, Candlestick miss they miss Candlestick. Um, if you go in the city in the Bayview, you see so many different um, murals on the wall, and everything uh, includes a picture of, the, of, of Candlestick. So it, it's 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 really missed, and, and I really wish the city could have figured that out to keep the 49ers here 
because, um, you know, she's missed big time. Yeah. I mean, it, it was special come, coming down through the Bayview and and seeing, you know, the just like you said, the energy coming out of all the houses. Like it was a, it's an actual San Francisco neighborhood. And then you're walking up to the stadium, whereas now they're playing, you know, they're surrounded by office parks in, in Santa Clara. So you, there's no way that you could recreate that kind of fabric that 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 vibe and and you hear all the stories you know as a Dwight Clark's memorial service back in 2018 and people were sharing stories of after the win against the Cowboys where he made the catch how uh just the, the Bayview and it was it was totally celebratory after every big win but especially after that one you know in 1980 January 1982 um, it, you know, some of the stuff that was said at that memorial service was, you know, Dwight Clark basically gave all these kids in the Bayview, um, a, a memory of celebration that they'll never forget, you know, and that really touched me. And it was like, wow, it's like, it, th- this all happened here. This, you know, they were right next to that stadium and that's, ne- that's never going to happen again. You know, I was every time, every time you drive by, you're kind of reminded of that, but um, you know, times change, new stadiums are built. That's kind of how the, it's kind of how the world works. I think that the Oakland Coliseum might've been the last one from that, that era, right? It's still standing, but obviously not hosting an NFL team anymore. Last weekend, uh, we saw the 49ers play in the Raiders new home, Allegiant Stadium, which by the way is, is really, really nice. And this weekend we're going to see the 49ers play in what's well, no longer a new home. It's almost 10 years old, but they're going to be back at Levi Stadium, not for the last time this year, but for the last time this regular season against the Arizona Cardinals. And no, we're not dedicating a whole lot of time to this game because I don't think this game deserves a lot of time to be dedicated to it. The 49ers <laughs> are 14-point favorites. Um, they maybe should be larger favorites. This is not a situation, in my opinion, where the Cardinals have star power like the Raiders to be able to keep this game close. I think if the 49, if this game is close, it's the 49ers' own fault. It's not something that I'll credit Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs, and Devontae Adams, and Jared Stidham for, which which I did last week. I thought those guys played great games for the Raiders, really exposed some 49ers' weaknesses. But the Cardinals are going to be starting their fourth quarterback of the year, David Blau, in this game. They're not going to have DeAndre Hopkins, who's out with a knee issue. Buda Baker is on IR with a broken shoulder. He's one of their best defensive players. If there's anything that you know might inspire the Cardinals a little bit, it's J.J. Watt, who's going to be playing his final career game. But there's a reason that J.J. Watt's playing his final career game, and it's because J.J. Watt is not the J.J. Watt of five or six years ago. Uh, we've already seen the 49ers blow out a Cardinals team that was much stronger, at least health-wise, a few weeks ago in Mexico City. And uh, the the 49ers have a lot at stake still in this game, obviously playing for seeding, and the Cardinals don't at 4-12. and So it's about as lopsided of a matchup as it could be, Matt. And Perhaps it's it's just as important to talk about the simultaneous matchups, right, that are happening, namely the Eagles uh, playing the New York Giants. Yeah, I was going to ask Dennis what what kind of lift uh, he thinks that the Cardinals will get with J.J. Watt, um, two-time Defensive Player of the Year, uh, one-time Walter Payton Man of the Year, just kind of underscores uh, how much esteem he's held in around the league, uh, how much that can can lift the team up. I remember B.Y.'s last game was in, in 2007. Um, and uh, I remember he had a really 
nice. I mean, that was a terrible 49ers team, and I think they won that last game, uh, or maybe they didn't, but I, I, it was their last home game. Yeah, I think they won their last home game against the Buccaneers that year, and um, you know, obviously they dedicated that win to BY, the players uh, carried him off the field. Jeff Ulbrich, those guys uh, kind of fetted BY, and uh, that was enough to kind of take a very, very bad 49ers team over the top and win. Do you, uh, Dennis, <laughs> does that uh, – you, you think that uh, will affect uh, how the Cardinals play in this game? I, I think going into the game, maybe. Uh, but I think if the 49ers do what, do what they, they're supposed to do or play the way – They've been playing the last at least at least the last nine weeks. I think you lose that after a while, but uh, you know that that could motivate. I, I can remember JJ Watt, a young JJ Watt, and he would. I, I was so impressed by him because he would take over football games. Right? I mean, he would rush the passer, he would tackle for loss, and then he would drop off and drop back in coverage, and he would intercept a couple balls or bat down some balls. So. You know, he would he would take over football games and then of course the injuries come and then the injuries come. Uh and he's not the he's not the the same player, but he's still, you know, he's still a very good defensive lineman. Uh only because, you know, he is a veteran. You know, he, he, you're not gonna fool him with any any blocking schemes. Uh he's got good technique. Um but I remember when he used to just dominate football games. But this is you said it, Dave, this is not a very good Cardinal football team. Uh, they're missing a lot of their star power. Um, coming in, you know, they're, they're going to be on the road. This is their last game. Uh, they're ready for the season to end. Uh, start, you know, getting ready for next season, getting ready for the draft. But um, if you if you let them come into the game and you give them confidence, like I said, if you if you give them something to play for, a reason to think that you can win a football game on the road against a divisional team, um, they'll do it. So the 49ers have to be, I mean, even though this week has been, you know, a different week, you know, with, with the incidents that kind of happen um, in front of everyone in national national football. But we are always taught, you know, you, you're, you're taught to kind of, you know, to have a have a short memory, right, uh, to forget things like that and, and, and to move on and continue to play football. So if the 49ers come out and they and they do and they play the way they can play. Uh, the way they should play, they should be able to shut this team down uh, early in the first half, I think, first quarter. But if you give the team, if you give any team any kind of confidence or any kind of belief they can win a football team, they'll do it. Because they, a football game, because they'll do it. Because they are professional athletes. I mean, they're, they're paid to, to play football. Um, and if you make it competitive, uh, any team can beat any football team on any given Sunday. So it's going to be important that you get the 49ers have their mindset you know, in the right spot. I mean, you're still, you're still, you're still looking for seating. I mean, there's still an opportunity. Not paying attention to any other football games, control your own destiny, um, and you come out and win football games. And you let let the chips fall where they may. But it's going to be important that they come out and understand that there's an opportunity to get a number one seed, and that means a buy, and that's and that's huge when you start playing in, in, in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, we could look at the scenarios here. If the 49ers beat the Cardinals and Philadelphia, they're two touchdown favorites over the New York Giants because the Giants are locked into the sixth seed, so they don't have much to play for. So Philadelphia is a big-time favorite. So assuming the two two-touchdown favorites win, that's 49ers over Arizona and 
Philly over New York, then there are three possibilities of who the 49ers will play in the wild card round. They'd host each of these teams, either the Packers, the Seahawks, or the Lions. I list them in order of probability because the Packers are actually the likeliest 49ers opponent because Green Bay, all they have to do is beat the Lions and they're in. But if Green Bay loses to Detroit... Then it's between Detroit and Seattle. And if Seattle wins and Detroit wins, then then it's Seattle. But if Seattle loses to the Rams, then it would be the Lions. So the least likely is the Lions. The second least likely is uh, the Seahawks. And the most likely 49ers opponent in the wild card round is the Packers. Now, if something crazy happens and the Giants beat Philadelphia and the 49ers beat the Cardinals then the 49ers will have that buy. That's obviously the dream scenario for the 49ers, but it's it you can't say that it's likely with the Eagles being two touchdown favorites over the Giants. Now, what happens if the 49ers somehow lose this game? Well, then you start talking about Minnesota. The 49ers leapfrogged the Vikings last week, but the Vikings can leapfrog them right back if the 49ers don't win. The Vikings play the Bears. It is highly likely that the Vikings win because the Bears are starting Nate Peterman and not Justin Fields. So if the 49ers lose to the Cardinals and the Vikings beat the Bears, the 49ers will drop to the three seed, which would mean that they host the six seed New York Giants. So there still is a small chance that the 49ers host the New York Giants as the three seed. And if the 49ers lose and Chicago also wins, so Minnesota also loses. That means that we just go back to the 49ers being at that two seed and the, the three options would be Green Bay, Seattle, or Detroit. So slightly complicated, but understandable, Matt. Uh, you know, just in order of likelihood, I think that the we're probably going to see Packers 49ers in the wild card round. We can't be sure. A lot could still happen, but if you had to if you had to list it, then Packers 49ers rematch happened last year after the 49ers snuck into the playoffs and won around. Packers will have some chance at payback. Now they're the team that uh, has a chance to sneak into the playoffs, and if they played the 49ers, then that'd be quite the role reversal from 2021. Yeah, of course it's going to be the Packers. <laughs> they have to play the Packers. Uh, that happens every uh, postseason the 49ers make. I mean, uh, all this talk, and I'm sure there'll, there'll be tons of debate about it um, you know, across uh, the Bay Area and California, but it, the bottom line is that if you're a team expecting to play in the, in the Super Bowl, if you're a team that's on a long winning streak that the 49ers are on, you're confident about any team that you're playing in the, in the opening round, uh, especially when you're at home. Um, and I mean, I, I think uh, if Detroit beats Green Bay and Detroit is that team, I think that would probably be a nice scenario for the 49ers. Actually, if the 49ers somehow lost, lost to the Cardinals and they had to host the Giants, that'd probably be the best matchup just on paper. Uh, the, the Giants are uh, very one-note, and uh, the 49ers' defense – um, really kind of excels against that type of team. I'll tell you what, though, uh, if there's one team that sort of, or one game in recent years that really haunts the 49ers, it's that opening uh, week game in last season, 2021, to the to the Lions, where they were blowing out the Lions in Detroit. And uh, they took Fred Warner off the field and Nick Bosa and all their stars and all of a sudden, the, the Lions uh, came back, and they had to scramble, the 49ers did, and uh, get those starters back into the game. really gave them 
uh, a lot of uh, nervousness in it, and I think it still echoes now. I mean, you're always wondering, why is Shanahan still playing Christian McCaffrey? Why is uh, Fred Warner still in the game? It's because uh, they, they have PS, uh, you know, uh, uh, bad memories of what happened in Detroit. Uh, so uh, maybe they could uh, have an opportunity, Dennis, to exercise those demons if they played the Lions. <laughs> I think on paper that's another team that the, the 49ers should uh, very handily beat. Like I said, you control your own destiny. Just go out and win uh, on Sunday and, and see where it ends up. I mean, you're in the playoffs. Um, now you have an opportunity um, to challenge for for a championship, and and that's got to be the mindset. And and it and, and I really do think it's gonna be it's gonna be Green Bay. And 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 it hurts my heart because I, a hot Green Bay team scares the heck out of me. Um, I think it's a it, it's just a tough matchup. Um, for for the 49ers and you know they've played Green Bay really well over the years but you know a a, a cocky and a and a in rhythm Aaron Rodgers scares me because he can make you know so many things happen it, it doesn't matter what receivers he has out there he he figures out a way to play well um, but I would love I mean I, I must say I would love to see Seattle come here in the first round and have a 49er um, Seattle. Uh, game at Levi Stadium. I, I just like I like that team. I I like the you know the way they play. I like I like the way I like Pete Carroll. I like I like just you know the all the all the the hatred between the the Seahawks. I, I would love to see that matchup, but I, I don't want to see a, a a hot Aaron Rodgers come in, into. But it, it's gonna happen. I'm pretty sure it's gonna happen. But you control it. You can do it. Uh, you win a football game, and but you're in the playoffs, and now you got to, you know, you got to start, you know, you, you, it has to go up a notch. I mean, the 49ers have been playing really well the last nine weeks. You just got to keep that up, and and it starts with your defense. You have to figure out, you know, you, that that cornerback position. How do you help that that young corner um, in coverage uh, and and up front? You just got to get after the passer, and 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 that's the bottom line. It starts with your defense. But the 49ers have to understand that um, it's the playoffs now. And, you know, they've been in a situation. You know, Kyle Shanahan's been in a situation. He knows, he, knows how, he knows how to get these guys ready. But go out on Sunday, win this football game, uh, and then start focusing on the playoffs, whoever the opponent might be. But I think it's going to be Green Bay. Well, guys, uh, this is just coming in. We have an update on DeMar Hamlin. The doctors have, have, have spoken in a, in, a, in a press conference and uh, they they essentially have credited the Bills medical staff for saving his life. They said that CPR was uh, was administered a, a minute after the event, which is obviously very very quickly. And because of that, uh, he obviously has what looks to be like an increasing chance to survive this. He was Demar Hamlin was able to communicate with doctors via writing. And his first question for them, it sounds like, was who won the game? And uh, doctors responded, this is according to Coy Wire. Um, he, he used to play for Stanford, uh, NFL guy who now is a, is a journalist. And he said, the, uh, doctors responded saying, uh, you won the game of life. Uh, that was their response to, to DeMar Hamlin. But um, some touching stuff, obviously, and really, really good news. Um, and you know, this kind of, this really does relate to a lot of what we were talking about earlier, Matt, about the immediate medical attention and 
Um, it sounds like everybody that was involved with on the medical side ha- has been doing one one hell of a job here over the past few days, and and obviously it's taken a lot of strength for Demar Hamlin to to pull through to to where we are at right now. I don't think that he's out of the woods yet. I, I wouldn't you know say that, but um, this is certainly really really encouraging stuff. Yeah, and I, and I think one of the the lessons or something that uh, we're going to be reading about uh, in the wake of this is you know that that everybody should get CPR training and that there should be more defibrillators uh, you know in various places like uh, little league fields and things like that because uh, I think we're going to realize that it was that quick CPR. Um, and, uh, and the paddles that, that, that saved him, they got that heart going. And I know that it, it, it may have, uh, kicked out one more time. That was the, what the reporting was, but, uh, that's, you know, that, that's it. I mean, uh, your, your heart stops beating for a certain number of minutes and, uh, your, your chances of recovery just, uh, just plummet. So, uh, I know I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that. Dennis, you're out in the community uh, all the time. Uh, do you know CPR? Is that something that you're interested in? Uh, yeah. And, you know, like I said, my wife was a, a, a paramedic and now firefighter. So she kind of forces me to do a lot of these things. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a good thing, right? I mean, oh, I've, fantastic. I've, I've, I've got CPR training. I got tree, triage training. I've, I've got the, the earthquake stuff. I've, even during this time with all with all this weather, I mean, last night we had to pack up our emergency book bag just in case you know I don't know something happens, the house floods out. So, yeah, I've, I've been I've been I've been trained in a lot of that stuff. I just don't know, you know, in that moment. I still don't know in that moment if I could actually do it. Um, so that that's the that's the only thing. I mean, I've been trained, I've been certified, but I, I just don't know in that moment, you know, if 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 I would have. You know, if, if I saw someone in that situation, could I do it? And that's why, you know, when I look at these first responders and the folks that do it for a living, um, you know, it, it, it amazes me that you, you have it in you to kind of do it. So, yeah, it, it's all it's all it, it, it's all good. It's good training. Uh, and I was really surprised, uh, Dave, when you said that in Little Leagues, you know, these young people are dying on the on these Little League baseball teams. And, and it's too bad the coaches don't have that training or have that medical staff on hand uh, to handle those situations. But yeah, you're right. It's it's important to have it. I think we all should have it um, because you could save a life in the long run. Yeah, and, and it, there's been an a, increasing rollout of defibrillators to public parks and, and places like that. I see them more and more often here over the past few years. You know, they, they have the defibrillator up against the wall. And, um, you know, that's and more CPR training for adults who are in charge, right? So coaches and, and, and lifeguards and all that, that's, that's all extremely important because, uh, you know, these medical emergencies can, can strike at any time, especially if you're playing a contact sport and, you know, even baseball is a contact sport. If the baseball is hitting you in the chest and that, that is contact right there. So, um, in this situation though, it, you know, knock on wood, say a prayer, uh, you know, well, whatever your preferred method is here, it, it does seem that that Demar Hamlin had the exact right amount of care at the right time, ready to to handle uh, what was a, a very very frightening incident to at least give him the best possible chance of surviving. So we'll continue to keep him and his family, and you know all the players around the NFL in our thoughts, because again, 
to stay as safe as possible on that field, you've got to be able to, to, you know, overcome that mentally. Cause if you can't, then all of a sudden the game gets a whole lot more dangerous. So that's, that's the somber mood with which we're approaching this final week of the regular season. Anyway, for Matt Barrows and Dennis Brown, this is David Lombardi. We will talk to you after the 49ers play the Cardinals. That will be when the regular season is wrapped up and we'll set the table for the postseason with that podcast. So talk to you next time on Here's the Catch.